Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Month 
throughout the year uh, from 1 to 2 o'clock at the center uh, to West 13th Street uh, here in Manhattan. Uh, the Rancher Book Study Group is free of charge and open to all. Uh, we read and discuss the Rancher Book as we go through brand new readers or uh, readers have read for a long time, find it a very rewarding experience on many, many levels. Again, everyone is welcome to join us. Please let me know if you'd like to attend, and I'd be very happy to provide you with the details. I'll give you my email address, N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the figure one, at gmail.com. The Rancher Book has now been translated into 22 languages with 10 more on the way. Uh, the Rancher Book is sold at better bookstores worldwide, and you may also read or listen to it on the Internet. There's two terrific websites I'd like to give you. The first one is urantiaboook.org. That's the fellowship website, and the full book is online. You can listen to it or read it. Also, the other uh, New York website is Urantia, U-R-A-N-T-I-A dot N-Y-C. They're both amazing websites, and I recommend that you take a look if you're interested. Okay, let's get right to it. Tonight, my featured guest on the program is a very dear friend and a longtime reader of the Urantia book, as well as one of the hardest workers to bring the Urantia book to the world. Steve Dreyer from Fort Lee, New Jersey. A very warm welcome to you, Steve. Thank you. Bye, Nick. Uh, I would like to uh, briefly tell the listeners a little bit about your background. This will be a tiny bit. Uh, Steve has been studying the Arantia book since 1971. He is a former president of the Arantia Book Fellowship. He is currently the secretary of the Arantia Book Fellowship. And he has presented many wonderful cutting-edge presentations at the Arantia conferences for over 40 years. Uh, Steve, you certainly have been busy. Thank you so much for being on the program. It's great to have you with us tonight. Uh, I'd like to start off the interview uh, from the very, very beginning. Uh, may I ask you where you were born and raised? Well, I don't know, Nick. That was a long time ago. Let me see if I can remember. <laughs> so, well, I was born uh, in Brooklyn uh, in 1940. You know, I'm, a, I'm an old guy now. And uh, I was raised in uh, Laurelton, Long Island, and uh, in Queens, and also uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I'm still in New Jersey. 16 and I've I've, I've, ne- I've never left so <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful place to be um tell me did you have um, any brothers or sisters were you from a big family or were you the only child no no not a big family I have a sister she's a younger sister she's uh, six years younger than me and she's uh, uh, she she uh, <clears throat> went to uh, San Francisco in the great migration of the 60s. Oh yes, and uh, uh, has uh, kind of stayed out there ever since. So she's uh, she's a quite a talented person. She has one daughter who's also a very talented person. 
And uh, we have a pretty good relationship. I just spoke with her uh, yesterday, or uh, I think it was yesterday. Excellent, excellent. I also have one sister. Um, was your mom and dad at all spiritual when you were growing up? No, I wouldn't describe it uh, at all in that way. I don't think uh, people were spiritual, at least not in the the group of people that uh, I, I was uh, familiar with. They were good people in the sense that they they were generally kind and thoughtful and considerate and moral. You know, they had a they had a, uh, a reasonably good ethical standard, but I wouldn't call it spiritual. I don't think they thought in uh, in uh, in terms of what we today call spiritual. Okay, very good. Um, and I want to ask you also um, to take us uh, where, where you went to school and your studies, uh, just to briefly that. Well, I went to a grammar school in Laurelton, and then I uh, uh, went to high school at Stuyvesant in uh, Manhattan for a couple of years, but then uh, my folks moved us out to uh, Teaneck, Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, I, I think they were a little bit concerned about some of the people I was hanging around with in Laurelton, and that had something to do with the move. And uh, in Teaneck, uh, I went to Teaneck High School, where I met uh, Bobby Goldman, who was subsequently became my uh, girlfriend and subsequently my wife. Good and choice, still is. Steve. Very, very good choice there. My uh, it was a great choice. Fifty-six years later. So, wow. uh, in school, I went to uh, I went to Syracuse University for a couple of years, and then uh, had a kind of a fa- family issues uh, uh, that required that I come back home. So I did that, and I continued the uh, University Heights up in the Bronx. I studied chemistry. Uh, I uh, uh, got a master's degree in chemistry, uh, took a job at New York City Community College down in Brooklyn teaching chemistry, and I stayed there for 30, 31 or 32 years. And then in 95, a long time ago now. I, I got to ask you, Steve, uh, since you said chemistry, did you ever have any explosions in class? <laughs> Yes. Yes, <laughs> we, we had them. I had explosions and uh, burns, chemical burns, and, and uh, a variety of other things uh, that are not all that uncommon in an elementary class in uh, chemistry where the students are not yet familiar with the uh, materials and equipment that they're working with. But never lost anybody. They all survived. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. My uh, my physics teacher in high school wrote in my in my uh, my class book when I was uh, leaving. He wrote, uh, "Here's to Nick from density to light." Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never good. forget that. He was a great teacher too. A really nice guy. I liked him. So uh, and he, I never I never uh, forgot that. So okay, so now you take us to the time that the Arantia book found you, or you found it. How did that happen? Uh, well, uh, I mean, there's a long and short story to that. Uh, uh, you know, I should 
should say uh, Bobby and I were married in 1962, and we had our son uh, in 1963. Uh, at that time, uh, my attitude towards uh, things involving God was uh, more or less atheistic. Okay, fair I, enough. I, I had come come through. Uh, a period when I was young, when I was uh, uh, kind of a believer, more or less, you know, in the, the things that I'd been taught. But by the time I was 16, 17, uh, I, I had given much of that up. And the reading I was doing led me in the direction of uh, uh, arguing that there really is no God. It's all just a, a fairy story and... <clears throat> Things like that, very common, right? The things that you'll still hear commonly said uh, about. And, uh, in 1971, a friend of mine that I had known since I moved to Teaneck uh, came to live with us, with uh, Bobby and I and, and our son, because he'd been in a really bad auto accident uh, in Iowa and... Uh, he uh, he was in pretty bad physical shape, and he was kind of destitute, and he just, he needed a place to stay, and uh, we offered him a a place. Thought he'd be there for a couple of months, but he stayed about a year and a quarter, I think it was. And during that uh, period of time, he was very depressed because he uh, he was badly injured. He uh, uh, he, he really couldn't do the kinds of things that he wanted to do. Uh, and from time to time, he would mention this book after he'd mentioned it three or four times. I thought, well, maybe if I get him a copy of this book, uh, it will uh, cheer him up somehow. So I've, I located a copy down at Sam Weiser's, you know, down on Broadway. You remember the books? Sam Weiser's shop down on Broadway. Not no, there anymore. No, I don't. That's too bad. Cause I... No, he's, that went out a long time ago. That was the metaphysical bookshop in New York. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, that's where you could go in and you'd find uh, you could find a copy of the Rancher book and also, right along with copies of How to Conjure Up the Devil. You know, he had about everything you might be interested in in things that you couldn't commonly find in a bookstore. So He covered a so lot I of bases, up, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, right. Picked up a copy of the Rancher book, brought it home, and uh, it just sat there on the coffee table in the living room, probably for two or three months. I'm not wow. sure my friend even looked at it, and he ever actually picked it up and looked at it. And one Sunday afternoon... In spring, very pleasant Sunday afternoon, I was sitting on that couch and I, I saw the book right in front of me there and I picked it up, leafed through it. I guess it may have been about, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I was uh, fascinated by what I was reading. And I... I read and read and read for probably four or five hours uh, that day. 
And uh, it, I and I had never had an experience like that before with the book, uh, but uh, uh, I sure did with this one. And it was uh, uh, it was the day that I discovered uh, the uh, Urantia book, and that's that's basically the story. Um, when you did that, uh, Steve, did you start from page one or did you go to the table of contents? That's what I did. I went to the table of contents and, and went through that and then saw things that I really wanted to know about and skipped to those chapters. But did you read from the very beginning? No. No, I think it's, I picked it up and just leaped through it. Right, right, okay. <laughs> no, it's a big book. It was about 2,000 pages. Yep. I opened it at some point and started uh, reading, and uh, uh, pretty quickly I, I, I discovered that uh, a large part of the book, uh, uh, the last uh, uh, quarter of it, was about Jesus. And uh, Jesus was a person that I knew nothing about. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. Wow. I was I was Bruce, and in all of my high school and college education, I was taught nothing about Jesus. So I knew nothing about him except that uh, he was a guy that uh, apparently claimed that he was, and uh, he got the people of the time all upset, and uh, uh, they, they they killed him, or the Romans killed him. And uh, the the people who subsequently became followers of his, Christians, have been blaming the Jews for that, for his death ever since. That's what I. That's about what I knew when I opened that book about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> well, no, I got I got to insert here that uh, I was I was raised Roman Catholic, and of course I. Uh, I knew uh, a great deal about Jesus by going to the, uh, you know, the catechism classes and all that. And yeah. I always thought it was weird that since Jesus was Jewish, that the the Jewish people didn't uh, uh, hold him up as a as a great inspiration. I always, as a kid, thought, wait a second, he's one of your boys. You know, I mean, it just seemed wild to me, um, you know, in those early years that. Jesus was not looked up to and and respected for what he was saying, and he was a Jewish. So I, that always was a just an interesting thing that I thought, how, how did that happen? You know. Anyhow, I wanted well, to just, that, just that, that. It, it hinges on the Jewish belief in the oneness of God. Right. The 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 most important prayer in Judaism is a prayer that reads. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the idea that there would be any other God except the one God is abhorrent to Jews. In their theology, that's, that's not possible. It's the equivalent of polytheism. So the, the concept of the Son of God doesn't work. Uh, right in 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 Jewish theology, right? Right. Okay. And uh, and that that's that's the reason I guess why uh, uh, Jews in general don't really know much about Jesus. They you know they're not they don't 
they don't think about him. They're not taught about him. At least that was the case uh, back then. I think it's not it's not so much the case now. More and more, mm-hmm. all people are uh, becoming more familiar with uh, Jesus. But for me, my uh, experience with Jesus began that Sunday afternoon. Oh boy! Uh, in, a, in, a, in a certain way, uh, you know, that, uh, I mean, this will be mystical, but in a certain way, I would say that on that Sunday afternoon, I met him. I came okay, face I to face with him, that. so to speak. I, yeah. I totally not, get what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not not physically, of course, you know, but, no, but in spirit. In, in, in a spirit. sense. In a sense, yeah. you you That's felt right. that there was a uh, there, there there was a vibe there that there was something that was drawing you to to him and to what he was saying and what he was about. Well, well that's exactly the case. I remember yep. sitting on that couch and, and saying out loud from time to time, "How is it nobody ever told me about this? How <laughs> yeah, is it? Okay. How is it? I <laughs> how is it this never appeared in any course that uh, that I took?" How could I have gotten through 31 years of life and not known anything about this? How is that possible? Mm-hmm. But it was possible, and it had happened. Yeah. In any well, case, many that, people that's to the day, very that's day, the day that I say it again. Go ahead. Yeah, that, that's that's the day that I became interested in uh, in the Orange Book, and then I. Read, of course, other parts of the book. Uh, also, uh, fascinating parts that describe the uh, the structure of the universes, the origin of of life, the uh, history of of uh, our planet. Most of it unrecorded. So we would say the prehistory of our planet. Things that happened a million years ago, or a half million years ago, or fifty thousand years ago, are described in the Orange Book. But the, those are not things recorded in our account of history, right? because we've never discovered uh, the, the either the artifacts or the, the materials that would give us any insight into what happened way back then. But it's it's described in the Orange Book. Um, whole passages on the development of civilization, on the development of religion, and then some very critical uh, information about what a human being really is. Uh, the most fundamental description of what constitutes a human person. And uh, that was different from anything I had ever heard before. Although, frankly, I hadn't heard very much before. And it is still unique. I, I, I have never to this day found another explanation for the nature of a human being that rises to the level of uh, the explanations, the presentations that you find in the Orange Book. 
I, I totally agree with that, and uh, boy, it hit me the same way um, when the um, the minister was reading a couple of paragraphs from the Arantia book after I had been going to the Unitarian Church for two years, and that sun, Sunday Sunday morning, two years in, for the last reading, he read a couple of chapter uh, not chapters, uh, paragraphs of the Arantia book, and then he said, "Gonna go in peace," and everybody left the church. I was hit by a spiritual truck, uh, Steve. I literally had to stay there for maybe 20 minutes and calm down. And, and just I was thinking, just like you were just saying, holy cow, what was that? What was that? Was that what I was looking for all my life? And, like, I just heard uh, some passages from it. Uh, i got to remember the name of that book. I've got to find out more about it. It hit me that much, that quickly. So... I, I really I, I get what you're saying, and I bet that other Urantia book readers would have a similar story about how it impacted upon them so so amazingly and so quickly. Yeah. Well, I I, I think that's true. Uh, although the, you know that the stories vary from uh, uh, from person to person, certainly. In, in my case, for example. I I became uh, uh, pretty quickly quite familiar with the contents of the book. And, uh, you know, I'm used to, I'm an academic, so I'm used to study, to reading. And uh, <clears throat> this was a big exercise in reading. And within a, within a year, I knew that book fairly well. Now, I assumed that the... Jesus that I found in that in the Arantia book was the same Jesus that people who call themselves Christians believe in, and that the you might say the theology or the theologic uh, 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 points that are made about Jesus in the Arantia book are the same as what Christians generally believe. But right. it didn't take very long for me to discover that was not the case, because because I, you know in interacting with Christians, whether Catholics or or or, or Protestants, didn't matter. I would end up saying something that I I had learned from the Orange Book, and the response would be, "What are you talking about? Where where did you hear that?" So. Uh, it, it became clear to me that there's a lot of material in the Orange Book about Jesus that is unique to the Orange Book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, going, uh, going to um, uh, being a Roman Catholic, uh, being brought up like that, and my one of my aunts was a uh, sister superior in the Catholic Church, so when she uh, we, we would visit her and we'd go to the convent and met the other nuns and we had some wonderful times they were quite a wonderful bunch of people and um and uh, i always uh when the uh, uh going to mass uh sundays and hearing passages from the bible dealing with jesus i always loved to hear what jesus was saying and how his life was going um however i gotta say that some of the other parts of the of the the church itself were really bothering me 
um, some of the things they were saying were really, um, I was thinking, how in the world did they get to that point? Uh, and um, some of the, just, it's just some of the things like, for instance, uh, Jesus, you know, didn't own property. He, he didn't wear diamond rings. He wasn't wearing robes. He was a very, very simple uh, a, a person as far as his lifestyle went and all that. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing um, on the altar or in, um, if, the, if the bishop would come to visit, you know, diamond, diamond, huge diamond rings and silks and silk um, shoes and uh, amazing amounts of, uh, of wealth. Uh, and, and it just seemed like, really? It just, was that what Jesus was saying? You know, if he was here, would he wear that? Or would he rather take the whatever the wealth was and feed the hungry and uh, house house the homeless? It just seemed like something was up there. It was very uncomfortable. Um, other things that they were talking about too were a little bit strange, and it just somehow wasn't wasn't. I was thinking wasn't really what Jesus was all about. So there was a little bit of a separation there from the beautiful words uh, and. Uh, deep feelings that Jesus was saying, and then what I was seeing uh, in in uh, the cathedrals, uh, just something was up there. Anyhow, I just, I, so it, it also led me to, to read more deeply about what Jesus was saying, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and my search continued, you know, until, uh, again, I found the Urantia book like you did. Um, Oh, you know, when I first saw the book, it looked like a it looked like a law book, two thousand pages and a blue simple cover. I was, oh <laughs> yeah. boy, you know, am I ever going to get through that in my whole life? You know, but I did three times. Yeah, and every time I read it, and I think you'd agree, Steve, you always come up with incredible new things that you read, but somehow it didn't sink in the first time, right? <clears throat> That's true. Uh, the 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 experience of uh, studying the book over many years uh, produces the uh, exactly that experience that you describe. You're always discovering new things. Sometimes it amounts to understanding something that you thought you understood before. Right. But now you right. understand it in a new way, yep. in a somewhat different or, we might say, deeper way. And the, uh, the book continues to do that. I, I've been, I've been uh, studying it for, I guess, about 45 years, somewhere around there. And I'm still discovering uh, new things and still reinterpreting uh, and uh, adjusting things that I, I thought. I knew. That's a common experience. So I don't think of it as a book. I think of it as an experience. I could call it the Urantia experience because I think that more accurately describes the nature of uh, of the uh, work and of the interaction that takes place. It's like a great symphony, which you, you can listen to over and over and you You'll always be discovering uh, new, new nuances and elements. Oh, I love what you just said. That that certainly hits the target right, right dead center. I love what you just said because it is like that. It's much more than a book. 
um, and it affects you so deeply. Sometimes, even in Robin and Helene's study group, we've we've read passages and people have cried. Um, people, when it was their turn to read, had a pass pass to another because they were a little bit choked up with the with the emotion of what we had just read, and that's not uncommon at all. Um, uh, it really does affect you on such a uh, a deep level, and um, and again, you know, many times even in the study groups, uh, we and we've read it a few times the whole way through, and the comments are, "Did we read that before? I don't remember that." <laughs> that that's, yeah. it goes on, right? Um, the study group, Robin and Helene study group, we were saying that. Did we really do read this before? Because it seems like we're reading it for the first time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, that that is uh, that, that's one way that people express the experience. And it really is a an exper- it's an experience. It, it is, and whether you're reading you know, with a, the people or by yourself, uh, it's it, it, it's it changes your life. Yeah, yeah, yep. That would be uh, a good way to put it. It gives you life. Would be would be another way. It yeah. certainly changes it, but it introduces things uh, that. Uh, uh, are uh, elements that become the most precious things in your life. And expansive. Uh, that word comes to me because it really has expanded my my whole concept of of being a human being of this planet, of of brothers and sisters in other realms, of other parts of the galaxy. It goes into that, mm-hmm. which I'm very, That's very... Right interested in and because the book was was really uh, naming names and talking about a government on another planet I'll tell you I, I was just stopped cold when I, I came to that section of the book and, and what it was saying one thing I, I, I really stands out to me was that on uh, the government of another planet one of the worst crimes you could ever do was a betrayal of public trust so that if you were voted uh, in, a, in a position of power and you betrayed that, sold out, so to speak, that the, the crime was punishable by death because it was the worst thing you could do was to betray public trust. Can you imagine Washington, D.C., if we have that going on right now? Well, there wouldn't be many people out there, Nick. Uh, there'd be an exodus. <laughs> Yeah. It would be like lemmings, lemmings running. Oh yeah, my gosh! Yes, I mean, but, just that uh, one you know, concept. Real, you know? estate, that was, real estate would become very cheap, though. Good oh time man, to real estate. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going through that right now with uh, all the um, revelations that are coming out uh, yeah. that are nonstop. I mean, daily now. It's just, it's just nonstop. The news goes on and on. And 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 yeah, but that really stood out. That was one of the things that stood out. And, yeah, that um, was you know I re- I remember that the paper on the government on a neighboring planet. It's a whole paper describing the way life is lived on a planet that's relatively near us. Right? Yeah. That, you know, and in terms of your answer book, that could mean a couple of light years away. But, could be. But it's relatively near. And those those are fascinating things. But you mentioned other planets, and the the uh, the Arantia book has 
detailed descriptions of life on other planets uh, and gives, uh, gives us an insight into how many other inhabited planets there are in the cosmos. Lots of them, right? About 7 trillion. If you That's add, add up all the, all the ones they, they talk about. And uh, it, it discusses what's happening on those planets, how life has lived on those planets. So and people who read the Orangia book and, and, and find that they believe what it has to report, uh, they don't speculate. They're not, they're not saying, well, I think there's life on other planets, but I don't know for sure. They have a pretty clear idea about life on other planets. And that that yeah, absolutely right. stopped me cold. When I started reading yeah. that, I couldn't put the book down. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that that's another part of that book that just really and is. The, uh, you know, another crazy. really critically important uh, matter. Now, you know, I'm, I'm 78 years old, so <laughs> it's a kind of an important matter for me, but it, it's been an important matter, and it was when I when I was 50 years old, and that has to do with what happens when you die. Oh yeah. What what happens when you die, right? Well, you know, there, so many people think that when they die, that's it; they just disappear, right? They they don't exist anymore. Everything just comes to an end for that. And uh, the only way that they continue is, is not really, not, not personally, but just in the memory of the people who knew them. That's how they continue. Or in their good works or, you know, things like that. A lot of people believe that. A lot of people will say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to uh, answer that question because... Nobody ever came back. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not an uncommon answer. That's right. I mean, what, you know, what, one, of the, one of the ways that uh, sometimes that viewpoint can be answered is to say, well, imagine you had a, pair, a couple of twins in the womb, right? They're in the womb, and they're talking to each other. And one of them says to the other, I wonder if there's life after birth. Wow. And the second one says, the second one says, well, I don't know. Nobody ever came back. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Wow. That's great. That is wonderful. You know, you're, you're identifying, Steve, something that's very important to me. And I'm sure with a lot of other readers, um, you know, in my life, uh, early on, I lost a lot of, of dear friends through AIDS and cancer. Um, and you're, you're, you're never really prepared ever to lose someone that you love. But when it's many people in a very short period of time, and they're, a lot of them were very young, and it really was a challenge to just try to cope with that. And the Arantia book was so comforting in talking about what happens after death, like you're saying. That's right. You know, it really it made such a big difference to me. And of course, losing parents 
um, I was blessed with two of the best parents I could have possibly had, and I'll never ever uh, forget how amazing they were to me and my sister. And so um, when they passed, it was it was difficult, of course. And the Arantia book really did help me um, so much. Um, when, when my partner passed on um, in our apartment uh, from uh, from AIDS, um, um, I the Arantia book uh, after calling nine one one and the the, the, you know, the the ambulance came and they said he is dead, he's died, and then and then they called the police and. I called the funeral parlor. This is all on Easter Sunday morning at 9 a.m. And um, for three hours, the policeman came into my apartment and said, if it's okay, we'd like to stay with you until until the funeral uh, uh, car comes to pick to pick him up. And so I sat on his bed, and I read the Arantia book for Easter Sunday. I read from that all the way until the doorbell rang and the uh, the funeral parlor was there to, to take Jeff back. And I'll t- I can't tell you what that meant to me to be able to read. I was reading aloud, and the policeman heard every word of it. And um, it was an amazing, it was an amazing experience, and it got me through a very difficult time. And uh, I'm sure that for a lot of other people, when they're dealing with someone that they love who's just departed, reading those passages in the Arantia book means everything to them. Yeah. Well, it does. It does. I mean, it, it, I, I think uh, uh, students of the Arantia book, people who, who actually come to believe <clears throat> the uh, Arantia book's description of the nature of reality, they don't fear death anymore because death is not the end of anything. And uh, they know that uh, they will they, they will continue the relationships that they had here that were cut short by death. They'll see their friends and relatives and loved ones, right? They'll see them again. And the uh, relationships that began here will continue. Will continue. That is incredibly comforting. I mean, you know, relationship is the most important thing in life. Yep. Everything else is secondary. Everything else. Absolutely. Nothing is, is as important as the relationships we have with other people and especially with the people we love. Those are the the, the the most important things in life, and those it doesn't things get better than that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely, right. you know the Ranch book says uh, death is the beginning of your universal career. When I read that, uh, it took my breath away. That's right. That's right. It's not it's not an end. It's a beginning. That's the beginning true. of your universal career. Wow, boy! Oh, boy! That was that was one of those places that just stopped me cold in a wonderful way. Steve, I was going to ask you: um, Is there any sentences or a brief part of the Rancher book that you might want to share with us, or just comment about? Do you want to read any part of that? I just 
I don't know if you uh, want, you want know, to do that. I, 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 I could read. Uh, I mean, there are, <laughs> there are so many parts of the Arantia book that uh, are, I, I, I find, uh, so insightful and moving. But I think maybe rather than do that, I, I, <clears throat> let me tell you one or two of the things that uh, I learned okay. from uh, uh, interacting with the Arantia. But I wouldn't say from reading it because that doesn't exactly capture what happens. From That's experiencing, true. from experiencing the Arantia book, right? And uh, one of them was, and and this is one of the most important of all of them. It's it was the answer to the question of what is a person? What is a person? How does a person come to be? Uh, and in the Arantia book, the the. the the explanation is unique, one of a kind. So according to the Arantia book, there is this characteristic called personality, right? Personality. It's not what we usually call personality. Right? We, people will say, oh, that person has a good personality or a bad personality. There are no good or bad personalities. There are, well, there are you know, only good personalities, right? So what is personality? Personality is, is a bestowal, a gift, right? That comes directly from God. That's, that's where personality comes from. So what happens is evolution produces this human meat body that we all have, right? But that's not a person. That's just a material, a material. structure. Right? It gets to be a person only when God touches that body and bestows on that body personality. And when that happens, you've got a person. That's the birth of a person. Right? As distinct from the physical body, which is not the person. Right? It's just the container that the, the person happens to be using at this particular time. Right, and right. Other phases of life, it will the person will use other containers. And every person that exists comes to exist in the same way. Right? Every single one of them. Right? So that, in a sense, it's true that God created the first two human beings. That's true. But he created those human beings by the same technique that he has created every other human being that has ever existed or ever will exist. We all come to be persons because we get a gift from God, and this gift is, we call it personality. And it carries with it extraordinary attributes. Uh, first of all, each each one is unique. There are no two identical or alike. Every person is totally unique, one of a kind. Uh, and that has always been the case, and it always will be the case. 
And a person is the most valuable reality that any that we will ever run into. Persons represent an absolute pinnacle of value in existence. Every person, every single person. Now, when when that is more realized on this planet and more experienced on this planet, then we will see the the kind of civilizations develop that we all dream of and hope for. Right? The 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 circumstance where people value each other and care for each other and serve each other. And why do they do this? Because they recognize the value in each person, right? The value of a person. And they come to love these persons. That's something I I it's learned from the Arantia book. I never would have learned it any other place. And it's the way I experience life in the world now. So I could have read you passages that describe that, but I think it's better if I just put it in my own words. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree, and you did a, an incredible job of that. And I also have to say, Steve, and I, I'm sure that you will agree with this, that that is reflective in the people who read the book. That's one thing that very quickly you realize that as you're around people that are your ranch book readers, whether, whether it's just simply sharing the book in a study group or going to one of the conferences or if you're lucky enough to have a society in your neighborhood, um, the people, the people are the most loving, wonderful, sharing, kind people you could ever hope to meet. Yeah, that's true. It really is true. Some of the finest people I have ever met have been readers of the Arantia book, and it's yeah. just part of of what we what we strive to become and become when we're trying to read and understand the book. It, it gives you that next level of being human and being loving and sharing the uh, Universal Father's limitless love, being a reflection of the Universal Father's limitless love. And I see that all the time. Um, you know, there are wonderful people, of course, that, that haven't read the Arantia book, but I think that the people who have read it somehow get the message and reflect it in their lives. Uh, it's 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 noticeable. Yes, of course. It, the the Arantia book is not required reading to <laughs> to to live a a a, a God centered value centered life. It isn't. I, people who've never heard of the book and maybe never will uh, live outstanding lives of, of love and service in the world. How does that happen? Well, it's because there's another thing you learn about what a human being really is and how human beings are constructed from the Orange book. 
One is personality, as I, I just described, but something additional happens. After personality is bestowed on a person, once a person has come into existence, there's a second gift that comes to each person, every single person. And that is an actual spirit, right? fragment of God actually present in each person. Right? We call it the inner spirit or the spirit within or there's so many different names for it and all cultures know about it because it's real. right? And in all cultures people have sensed it and discovered it. And so they have, they have some term for it. Right? But the, the most common one is the inner spirit or the spirit within. The Orange Book has a, a pretty strange term for it. You know what it is, right, Nick? Tell me. It's thought adjuster. Right. Oh, of that's course. The, that's the term the Orange Book uses, which is not a particularly elegant term when you first hear it. Right. But over right. time, over time, it's. It, it, it begins to uh, make sense. Anyhow, the important thing is that there is present within each person an actual fragment of God, and that spirit is attempting to guide the person that it's with down the path of light light. That's what it's attempting to do. And when it's successful, people live these outstanding lives. And it doesn't matter whether they've heard about this book or that book. It doesn't matter what culture they come from or what language they speak. Right. None of that matters. Right. What matters is their willingness to follow the leading of this inner spirit. That's all that matters. And it, it is essentially a relationship between the person and the spirit of God, who is the actual source of that person. Well, very well said, Steve. Like, it's wonderfully said, and you're, you're absolutely right on that. And when you see that reflecting in different people of different colors, of different races, of, of different spiritual backgrounds, um, uh, different ages, whatever and you but you see that loving presence that's there and the willing to help and to share and 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 to give love it's it's just the way things should be and i think that everyone agrees with that that's what it should be and yeah. it should be a world of peace and love not a, not a world of, of war or the threat of war um it, it, it puts us on a whole different level when you when you want to end that and uh Again, the Arantia book is one of the wonderful tools that a person can use to to understand and that what that's about and to to resonate with those, that thinking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And boy, it's uh, it's powerful. Love, love, and sharing, and brotherhood and sisterhood are very powerful, powerful things, and it makes life worth living. And, you know, you also sometimes come across people who really 
have not a clue, don't get it, or even are angry, or or somehow they miss the boat as far as uh, the the whole experience of sharing in love. And they also stand out. And I always try to say a little prayer if I come across someone like that. That you know, I hope that they somehow can can, can strive to to find a better a better outlook because there are people very negative and. We come across them in life, and it's sad. It is sad, yeah. And, and you know, the sad thing is that it's unnecessary. It is unnecessary. It really is unnecessary. Each yep. person is a child of God. Each person is entitled to the full benefits of being a child of God. And on those powerful words, we end our adventure for today. Uh, Steve, that was very inspiring. And Nick, you always have such great guests that come on the show. Uh, it was wonderful to listen to both of you uh, speak. Uh, your conversation was uh, very deep, and it revealed uh, a great many spiritual truths. So thank you. More than welcome. Well, thank you. Hercules, anytime. You're a dear friend and one of the best producers anyone could ever hope to have. Well, thank you. And I think you're a great friend and a great host, not only on the radio, but I've attended a handful of your meetings. You're, you're awesome in person as well. And Steve, you could see. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Nick and I are fans of each other. So uh, uh, we, we compliment each other every uh, time we get an opportunity because we, we have hold each other in high regard. I I understand that. I hold Nick in high regard, so I understand. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and and I got to just say at the end here. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I hope that, Steve, you can do another program at some point. Well, um, I'd be happy to if I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal. If, okay. if not, you could be on the other side saying, see, I came back. On the and other let them side, know. Yeah, that's right. We'll do it that's on the right. other side. That's, they they that's still right. do them on that's... the other side. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Um, Steve, how can people get in contact with you if, if they'd like to uh, contact you? Or, or should they do it through Nick? Uh, no, you can take my uh, email address. That's okay. Okay. Uh, it's it's a, a Steve D R E S T E V E D R E at Gmail. Oh, sorry, S T E D D R E twenty five twenty five at Gmail dot com. So Steve awesome. D R E twenty five at Gmail dot com. Thank you very much and. Friend me on Facebook. There were several people with your name. I didn't know which one was you uh, from what I could access. If you friend me on Facebook, I'll, I'll link to you and uh, share the information that way as well. And, Nick, I know you shared the information already, and it's on Facebook, but uh, you can't let people know about the Uranti book uh, too few times. So why don't you share that information uh, as well as uh, uh, when you have your meetings? Right. Um, again, uh, they could they could email me at nick n y n y one at gmail dot com, and I could give them the details of the meeting. And it's usually the first and third Sunday 
of each month throughout the year unless there's a holiday or something like that. So they should email me to tell me that they'd like to come, and then I give them the details. Awesome. Thank you so very much for an incredible show, and thanks to all our listeners. We're going to take a brief musical interlude uh, and listen to Cauldron Born from Dave the Bard. And uh, as uh, you all may know, I have a fascination with the Holy Grail, and uh, that is a version of the Holy Grail. And then we'll be back with the premiere of Temenos. Um, Everyone, uh, be back in a few minutes. All right. Thank you. Every thread 
Searching for patterns and looking for signs Your life a construction one day you will see Through the illusion and into the dream the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Kerridwen's children, the cauldron born. So we stand on this hill. The powers of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy And shades of the night We call to our ancestors Of blood and bone Of womb and tomb And standing stone Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words And sing your spell Deep within The cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Kerridwen's children, the cauldron born. Oh, lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Kerridwen call. Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Kerridwen's children, the cauldron born. is an Olympian exploration of cosmic spirituality. Uh, that was an awesome disclosure network. Um, I recently went to in New York City, and uh, um, I was so impressed that uh, I suggested working together with uh, Nick on a project, and I actually have a phenomenal amount of things to report. Greetings and welcome, Nick Curto. 
Hey, good to be with you again, Hercules. Uh, looking forward very much to this this next hour. Yes, as am I, and I believe Phoenix will be joining us at uh, at some point. He's not uh, here now. Um, I was very inspired uh, by uh, the things that you're doing in New York, and uh, uh, again, some of them are research and explorations, and some of them are doing things uh, uh, to actually help people, and uh, what I did here in New Jersey was I revived uh, Temenos. Uh, Temenos was an initiative that I had in uh, Pennsylvania that I relaunched uh, for a little while in northwestern New Jersey. Uh, and then when we first moved here to northeastern New Jersey, Mythic Atlantis, which you uh, attended, uh, was part of uh, the whole uh, Temenos uh, umbrella. Temenos I remember that quite well. Yes, it was quite a quite an afternoon. Yes, it was. We, we had a lot of fun. Uh, it was uh, uh, small for a first event, but uh, people found out about it. And, and when I go into town, I'm often stopped by folks wanting to know when we're bringing back Mythic Atlantis. So uh, next year, I'm hoping to do uh, just that. Um, now, one of the things we discussed last time we had an open uh, Disclosure Network meeting here on uh, the air was uh, putting together community gardens. Yes. That, I um, think that's a very exciting and incredibly timely thing to, to do. Yes. And uh, it's something that can easily be done. So we started in our home, and ah. our front window now has uh, a rack, a metal rack with uh, um, lots of... Uh, uh, edible food plants growing in it, carrots and uh, tomatoes and uh, um, different things. Our front, uh, in front of our house, is like a little uh, um, bit of land. Uh, so um, my wife had been growing culinary herbs there, like uh, basil and uh, oregano. Uh, so Fantastic. Uh, continued doing that. And now we're thinking of putting a small greenhouse in our uh backyard or on our back uh, patio so uh, we've embraced it and uh, we started and uh, um, I spoke with uh, one of our local uh, politicians uh, on yesterday's show and got an update on what's uh, happening here in the community uh, garden in Tenafly and we talked for a while and we were inspired to grow it beyond where it currently is so that it's actually producing uh, food to feed people so He's going to present it to the uh, council in an upcoming meeting. And then the Creskill Public Library is planning community garden as well. So as the president of the Friends is of the Creskill Library and part of the grant writing team, uh, I'll be involved with that as well. So uh, here we go from a simple conversation. We have all that activity in, in a mere month. That is awesome. Well, that's out, that is outstanding, absolutely outstanding. And for the quick little time it's taken, look well, already where, where we're going. That That is so exciting. Hercules, really, got to hand it to you there. Um, well, I've been reading up on some things, for instance, if you want to have a greenhouse, there's, there's oh, wow. places where you can buy. Um, it's not glass and steel. It's, it's uh, plastic or steel and uh, looks like um, a kind of a plastic, a thick plastic, and for very little money, people can can have in their backyards a greenhouse, a greenhouse yeah. that's very economical. 
They used to call those window boxes in Pennsylvania. They, usually it's a, they would take a discarded window, uh, and then they would have like a, uh, either a, a liner on the bottom or just dig a hole and put the uh, window on top of that. And they would protect oh. plants through all sorts of weather and uh, let the sun in so they, uh, they would grow. So I imagine what you're describing is uh, on the same principle as that. I'm going to do some more research, and I'll give you some websites, but there are some websites that are offering unbelievably low-priced, simple, simple um, places where you can – it looks like a little greenhouse. It's maybe six foot by another six foot sort of thing, something Mm -hmm. like that, and it's made of thick plastic with a a thick either plastic or steel reinforcement around it, and it would would act as a greenhouse, and I think that's – economical and very exciting. So that's a real possibility. Um, Yes, I I agree. We were uh, looking on Amazon primarily uh, because uh, we're members of Amazon Prime uh, and they deliver and you save on uh, shipping costs. Uh, So uh, uh, my wife had identified several of them that were inexpensive and yet would do the job that we want them to do. So uh, now we're promising people food because we know once you start growing, uh, uh, like tomatoes, for instance, uh, you always have much more than you know what to do with. So <laughs> we'll be providing uh, friends and family and uh, neighbors with uh, uh, whatever we don't use ourselves. That, that's fantastic. And, of course, that, that, uh, that can spread, too. And for people who um, would like to have fresh vegetables grown from their own gardens, how wonderful is that? It really is. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in also growing. Now, I live, as you know, on the 25th floor of a of a 36-story yes. high-rise in Manhattan. So uh, I'm a little bit jealous because I don't have the grounds and the, the soil, so to speak, to do something on that level. But, but there are ways you can grow things. And I bought a grow light, and I'm oh, going to wow. get uh, some tomato uh, plants. And also, I'm very interested in, in growing mushrooms. Um, I mm-hmm. love uh, cooking with mushrooms. I saute them with a little garlic and, uh, and um, garlic and some seasonings. And, of course, mushrooms can go on anything from, from pizza to salads to what um, wonderful Italian dishes, you know. And, and mushrooms um, are very uh, easy to grow, uh, depending upon the type of mushroom you have. So I'm doing some research on that right now, and I'll keep you posted on that. Oh, thank you so very much, because I would be interested in growing uh, mushrooms as well, because I, I love uh, mushrooms. Uh, I don't get as much of an opportunity to cook as I uh, used to in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, but when we lived in Pennsylvania, I used to cook all the time. I loved cooking. Uh, but me uh, too. Permit, uh, as much uh, as I would like, uh, but uh, th- that would encourage me to uh, budget the time or make the time uh, because uh, fresh, fresh vegetables and uh, um, you know fresh mushrooms that would be fantastic to put in a meal. You know, speaking of cooking, when I left um, Massachusetts Springfield to go to college for the first year, and my mother was an incredible cook. Uh, she was of Irish descent. My father was Italian descent, and she did incredible cooking, uh, both uh, the cuisine of the uh, Irish as well as Italian, amazing Italian cooking. And so I was really spoiled, very spoiled, because I loved the good foods that she would make, and the baking was amazing. So when I went to college, 
Um, and I got there, I unloaded my suitcase, and there was a little kitchen that we could use in this um, kind of like a dorm situation. And I uh-huh. thought, you know, I don't know how to cook. I really do not know <laughs> anything about cooking because I never had to. And, you know, it was just so wonderful to have a, a good cook in the, in the family. So I started from scratch, really. And I would ask her, well, how you did this and how much did you put in and how long do you cook it? I had a million questions to ask. But, you know, now in my life, I love to cook. And, uh, Hercules, I think you'll agree with me that it's the most relaxing, wonderful yeah. thing to accomplish a big meal, right? Oh, most certainly so. I, I always find it relaxing uh, to cook, almost like meditation. Yes, and also to share that with others, uh, sharing your food, sharing your your recipes, your cooking with others is, is such a joy. I, I now make breads, um, different kinds of breads, uh, sometimes with uh, garlic or, or onion breads or things like that, herbs inside the breads. And um, uh-huh. it's always... Oh, and sometimes cheese, too. And uh, smelling bread cooking, is there anything more hypnotic than that? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. No, bread's not my friend anymore uh, since I got uh, diabetes type 2. But I, I uh-huh. love the smell of bread. And uh, uh, although I'll cheat every now and then and have some bread, uh, that's the exception rather than the rule. But I love the smell of bread. I love the taste of bread, the texture of bread. Uh, and uh, I used to be once upon a time a connoisseur of different types of uh, uh, breads, uh, and I used to enjoy them. Semolina with sesame was one of my favorites. Ooh, and see, you're making me really hungry right now. You're really doing that. And at 11 o'clock, when this program is over, I'm going straight to the kitchen. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> oh, boy. And I bought some fresh uh, vegetables today, including beautiful tomatoes that are, they sell them uh, on the vine. So there's like a cluster of tomatoes on the vine. I love to pick the tomato off the vine. There's something about that, right? There's just something right. about that that, that just, it, it feels right. It just feels so right. And yes. corn, of course, of course, corn is a different story. You need more land for that, which I can't do, but I love corn, especially in the summer and fall. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, corn is not my friend anymore either, but uh, I used to. Oh, I'm so sorry, though. Oh, dear. You know, another thing about mushrooms is that I have a lot of friends who are vegetarians uh-huh. and strict vegetarians, too. And mushrooms uh, answer uh, a real a real need. For instance, I made uh, vegetarian ham- burgers with mushrooms and um breads and and um, different kinds of herbs and they really came out great yeah mm. <laughs> now i'm getting really really hungry um okay well, we have 40 minutes uh, till we can go make ourselves uh, meals or uh, grab something from the refrigerator and uh, and warm it up um, a lot of people, we're very blessed in that we can you know, create meals for ourselves and enjoy meals. Um, it must be said, though, that uh, uh, many people in this world cannot. And uh, that's been yes. bothering me a lot uh, you know, lately. Um, in the past, uh, and even now, we've contributed to uh, um, food drives, you know, where we have some extra food. We've given it to the food drive. 
Um, I've volunteered in the past in uh, places that uh, uh, fed people. Um, but uh, um, we live in a world of abundance and opulence. And even now, when we live in challenging times, uh, and there must be something we could do to make sure that uh, um, people are able to eat and what they eat is nutritious and uh, yep. uh, not filled with poisons. Oh, boy, absolutely. And that that's something, that whole subject alone is, is worth a discussion at some point. What you're eating, what, what ingredients are being put into your food and in your water, even in your water, you have to. In fact, just today I called the water department because my filter, my home filter for water is picking up a, a fair amount of I don't know what it is. It's um, it's it's fil- it's now half the filter is with this whatever this material is that's being filtered out, and I've uh, I want to uh, call the uh, I already called the water department and they said that they would investigate, and I'm going to call the building where I live tomorrow and say, you know, something needs to be looked at because for all the people that don't have a water filter, uh, and have children or babies and are mixing formulas with water that my filter is picking up that's other things in it, that is really very, very upsetting. It is very upsetting. Um, and, you know, and of course, we all know that chloride, fluoride, fluoride has nothing to do with making your teeth better or healthier. It's, it should never have been put in water. And there's a toothpaste now that you can buy in some of the stores that it says we have no fluoride. A lot of studies that are saying fluoride should never have been used in the water supplies. And um, so that's a whole other subject. But um, you have to be very, very careful, uh, not only with the water, of course, but with the things that you're buying at the grocery store. You really have to look at the labels and see what is in it. We had uh, on the show recently, on uh, Jerry Hochek's uh, show, The Empowered Hour um, with uh, Jerry Hochek, um, he had uh-huh. somebody who made a toothpaste. He, it was a healthy toothpaste, but it had fluoride in it. So I asked him why he put uh, uh, fluoride in there. Uh, and he had said that in the, the amounts that are used in our water uh, and in the toothpaste that he made, uh, it's so minuscule, it's a trace amount, and that's not dangerous to you. In fact, it may be healthy to you. He said in excessive amounts, though, fluoride uh, is very dangerous. Uh, he also pointed to zinc, which uh, a lot of uh, um, uh, products uh, pride themselves on their zinc content. That zinc is actually very dangerous for you, too, in, uh, um, in large uh, quantities. And I've heard reports that it causes uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. Uh, you know, exactly right. So that's the research is showing you. You couldn't be more right on that. And also the fluoride, you know, fluoride originally uh, uh, aluminum companies would take the waste, which is fluoride, put it in uh-huh. barrels and pay a lot of money to have it buried. And whoever got the idea to then, well, why don't we just take it and dump it in the water systems and tell everybody that it's good for your teeth? Do the research, and you, it's like a horror movie. When you start reading about this, there was a barrel of fluoride that was was spilled on a, a concrete, and the concrete started coming apart. Wow! So why put even a little trace of of poison into your body? You know, I mean, why would you do that in the first place? You know. 
So anyhow, there's a whole subject, but um, there's a lot of research on that that uh, that says, you know, these are things you shouldn't have, and your water filter should take out those metals as well as the fluoride. So there are some good filters that do that. Astrid, on yesterday's show, uh, she had said that uh, she had researched that uh, um, there was uh, like uh, carbon or something in the water. Uh, here in New Jersey. So maybe that's what uh, is uh, showing up on your filter. Um, So I'll see if I can find the article that I appreciate that. Really, we have to be very, very careful. And this is not a small matter because, you know, what you put in your body, uh, some of that stuff should never get there and it will stay in your body and do some real harm. So you've got to be very watchful about that, especially with babies and young children that are much more uh, sensitive to some of these to some of these things. Um, you have to be very very careful and watchful about what's going in to your food and water uh, or whatever else you're drinking. Absolutely. So that that that's, that goes without saying. Back to the uh, home gardens. You know, victory gardens were a very big deal during the war, as you know, because yeah. people could gr- grow their own fresh vegetables and. They weren't being trucked across the United States. They were being right in your backyard. You could pick them. What a healthy, good thing that would be for families to 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 do that together, and to enjoy fresh fruit, fresh vegetables. Um, I I can't imagine anything better than that. And so we I, need to revisit that, don't you think? Well, this is the time we should be doing that. I, I believe that, that that you're right, and one of the projects here that's uh, is a step in that direction. Uh, well, see, that you're going in the right direction there. I think that you know putting the important step, because you start getting neighbors involved with that, and you're going to get a uh, you're going to get some real energy in that direction, and that's only going to get better and 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 get more people involved in that. And it's great for families. It's it's also economical. And if there was a uh, a gas shortage, or God forbid, a uh, a power outage or something, and that or or gasoline became these are all things that could happen. You need to have a plan B, and a victory oh. garden is a plan B. I remember years ago when I first found out about apartment uh, gardening, and and back then uh, what I did was. Uh, I used to make pickles, which, uh, again, they're not my friends anymore because of the, uh, the brine. Uh, I'm very sensitive to salt. But anyway, that's, uh, that's uh, now. This was then. Uh, and also growing sprouts. You can stars, seeds, and uh, a dark place in your uh, sink. Grow, like, really healthy uh, uh, sprouts to add to your salads and uh, to your uh, uh, foods. Um, so... Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by uh, home uh, gardening, and uh, um, it's been great to do it. And if I could do it, anybody could do it because it just uh, requires (laughs) space and a little bit of attention and then harvest the food when it's ready. Um, Another thing, thing too, is canning. Canning is something our grandparents did. And um, God bless them. And that, that process was kind of lost on the next generation and the generation that followed. But that is really a very smart and very healthy thing to do. We, we need to relearn things like that. Yes, we do. And uh, there were also ways of if you have room in a basement or in a, in a closet, 
to uh, they had these uh, uh, aquariums you can uh, make. Uh, or, or you could use like a child's uh, swimming pool and not only grow uh, plants uh, to eat, but also fish. Uh, the fish would live in there. It's like creating a whole ecosystem. And uh, for those who like uh, to eat fish, uh, you would have the fish as well uh, as uh, to, to eat. Uh, I know that it's not very popular here in this country, but in many countries, uh, protein um, is derived from like uh, uh, different types of insects as well. That's true. You know, when I was in Disney World in Florida, and in the um, uh, what's the, the futurist section? I can't think of it now. It's not Tomorrowland. It's um. Uh, Epcot, Epcot. I was there opening day. Would you believe that we came? We went down for opening day of Epcot. Can you believe wow. that? It was a. We were so excited, and the night before, we saw palm trees being trucked into the into the park that were the last minute of uh, Epcot Center. And in Epcot Center, there was one pavilion, and and they were doing exactly what you were saying. It was hydroponic, hydroponics. Yes, hydroponics. And the um, there wasn't soil used; it was water, and it was um, uh, nutrients. And you should see the beautiful, I mean, gorgeous uh, vegetables that they were growing without soil, and it was uh-huh. it was pristine, clean, and the and the vegetables weren't the normal size either; they were huge. And we were very impressed with that. Oh, of course. Um... That is very impressive, and uh, right now our basement is being used for storage, but once we uh, basically release a lot of the things that we're storing, uh, I would like to put a hydroponic station downstairs and also a home gym, because uh, 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 exercising for me is even better than cooking. It's like It's like a whole different level of meditation. It is. It absolutely is. And also, let's not forget the connection that you, a human being, has with the earth and with plants. There's something yeah. about that that is just so healthy and right. It just, it just, it just makes it. And I, I want to get more involved in that because I feel unfortunate because I, you, when you live in a city, you have a lot of good things, and then you have a lot of things that you wish you could have and you don't. And of course, right. one of the big ones is a garden. I would love to have that. In, fa- in fact, I just I just uh, invested a little tiny bit of money uh, for beauty because I got uh, coming to me in the mail lotus lotus seeds where you can you wow. can have lotus flowers. That is awesome. Isn't it? And you can have them in water, or you can also have them in in, in pots. I didn't know that. So I'll keep you posted on that. But, you know, beauty is also uh, something we all need in our life. Of course, you need to be surrounded with beautiful things. And I can't think of a more beautiful thing than a lotus of blossom. Right. No, they're they're very beautiful. And beauty is very uh, important. Uh, It goes to quality of uh, life. And uh, we're here for a very short period of time on this uh, planet uh, it sounds long when you say it, but when you're living it, it's like a dream. It moves very quickly. Uh, so the more beauty we have uh, here, the better the quality of our life.
Hello? Hello? Hello, Hello Nick? Nick? Hello? Hello, Nick? Hello, Nick? Can you hear? Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, yes, I can hear you. Sudden things went dead. Yes, yes they, they did. I was in the middle of a conversation uh, with you, and it died. I realized nobody could hear me. Uh, it would, I, I can't explain that, but uh, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't happen again. If it does, I'll use another phone and I'll recall. So uh, that's my plan. Are you, Are you hearing echoes? I'm hearing a horrible echo. Let me, Let me try, try calling back, back in. Okay, call me back. Okay. 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 Hello? 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 Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Um, we are having a technical difficulty problem, so I'm going to play a song until we figure it out. Exhibit 
is the future of transportation. Wow. And they have futuristic bicycles, cars, uh, a cross between a bicycle and a car, and they have models of highways and the new vehicles that they're planning. And also there's, uh, there's buildings, uh, sketches of new buildings. And one of the thinking, one of the, of the, the major thoughts about, and here it comes, gardening, is that it's uh-huh. getting so expensive to truck uh, from California vegetables to New York City, which goes on all the time, and we pay for it. They're talking about constructing buildings, tall buildings, that are simply huge gardens. Wow, that is awesome. That would have, yep, in all the major cities, including New York, and it would be grow lights on all the floors, uh, hydroponic use, and it would be simply growing your vegetables and then and distributing to the city that they're grown in, which means there's no trans- big transportation costs. Wow. Uh, Isn't that, that is something? It that really is. is. And, and, and that is really very serious thinking. It's on the drawing boards right now. And it, it, when the moment you see it, you realize that makes total sense, absolutely total sense. And so that is one of the futuristic, not that far in the future either, that they're planning to do. So it will be right from a a garden building to your table. And now we have to watch out is, uh, um, basically that uh, uh, there are no GMOs or pesticides or or things uh, um, in what's being grown in those buildings. You know, I, I got to say that um, one of the one of the, my favorite programs on television is on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and it's CBS Sunday. It's one of the smartest, one of the best produced uh, programs you can. It's, it, it talks about very different topics, almost like a a 90 minute magazine of very interesting topics: uh, art, music, theater, uh, science. It goes all over the place. It's wonderful, wonderfully done. But one thing that I really was shocked, and I'm going to write them, I'm going to write the show that on the commercials, which usually are about Broadway shows and things like that, that you're interested in, it was a whole commercial about Roundup produced by Monsanto. Really? And and I, I couldn't believe that they would have something like that. And I, I really was quite offended and shocked because all the research is showing that major countries have banned Roundup because of the poisonous qualities that they when you're spraying it in foods and, and yes, it, it's yes, awful. It, it couldn't be any worse. And whole um, countries have banned it. They don't want it on their soil. They don't want it in their food. And and Monsanto paid for this commercial on on an otherwise wonderful program that talks about how wonderful Roundup is. Anyhow, I I had to say that when we're starting to talk about uh, poisonous things in food. Oh, definitely. uh, And and it was really a shock. Yes, that is definitely... uh... Um, a shock that they would be advertising it. Um, another thing that's uh, done is that names are changed. 
uh, yes. of uh, different chemicals. As soon as people become alert about a, um, a chemical, uh, then a, a new name is put forth and you don't recognize that the chemical is there. So that's a practice, too, that has to uh, Well, you know what? Just on that very level, Monsanto was recently purchased totally by Bayer, Bayer Aspirin, the Bayer huge multi-million dollar Bayer company. So sometimes they're talking about Roundup from Bayer, and they're not putting the word Monsanto in it. So people are thinking it's a new product. It's not. It's the same poison. It's the same thing. You don't want it sprayed on anything ever. And and they're still promoting it. I did not. I was not aware of that. And why this country doesn't ban Roundup and other similar products is beyond me. What in the world are they thinking? It, Roundup has been traced into cereals. I think the Kellogg's and other Post, perhaps, and other major brands, including, inclu- believe this or not, oatmeal. Oatmeal, you know, when you see the the Quaker oatmeal with the with the uh, the yeah, Quaker on the on the part of that, right? And you think well, this has got to be very good for you. It's, I've always thought that, right? The uh, hot oatmeal in the morning, but there's been traces right. of Roundup in in those products. Yes, I, I I heard that some of our trusted cereal uh, companies uh, um, had uh, um, very dangerous uh, pesticides. Uh, that did not wash out. They that they were part of the the cereal. I, that was not that long ago either. It's it's amazing that it's allowed to continue. I mean, don't we have? Haven't we paid for uh, government uh, agencies to protect us from this exact thing? And why is it still allowed? Is is beyond me. I know that uh, certainly they have the smartest lawyers that money can buy. And they've been in and out of courts uh, quite a bit. Uh, we're talking about Monsanto here. Um, but the bottom line is countries have said, get out and stay out. We don't want your product anywhere near our gardens. So, again, this, is a, this goes back again to growing your own vegetables. This goes back to how healthy can it be? You know, would you want your children to have a cereal that has traces of Roundup in it? I don't think so. No, no, and and in a lot of these cereals, I mean, I love cereals. I a lot of times midnight snacks are cereals. I have like about uh-huh. eight different kinds of cereals that I I love that I have here. But but at the same time, a lot of children love cereals, and of course, this these kind of dangerous products are, are even more uh, dangerous for young people to have. Well, what is uh, what saddens me is that uh, um, a lot of the protections that, that these uh, government agencies, and again, the government agencies are far from uh, perfect, uh, but they afforded some protections are being torn away. Um, yes. And people are being put in charge of these uh, um, these agencies that are inimical to the purpose of the agency. So. Uh, the, the protections that we had uh, are even less now, and it's even more difficult to ascertain uh, whether uh, something that's dangerous is in the food that we eat or the air that we breathe or the water that we drink. Right, and, and false, false news, fake news, well, the same thing can be true of fake in, uh, ingredient names, 
right. and things that you think are good but aren't. And that's a whole that's a whole category that some people get paid a lot of money to disguise what's really there. And that that is that is true. And that's got to be looked in and stopped. People and corporations need to need to stop this. And I don't know who's watching the watchers, but there are whole agencies getting a lot of money, hopefully to protect the public. And I'm not seeing that that always is the case. Yes, sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. And uh, um, there's so much going on that uh, I'm feeling uh, uh, kind of spread out thin and overwhelmed in terms of even like becoming aware of what's going on uh, daily. And some of it uh, seems very frightening, uh, what's going on daily. No, absolutely true. And uh, people have got to be much more aware of that because it, this really affects everybody. And and uh, it's a, this is a generational thing, too. And we've got to be very careful about this. The last thing we need is to have uh, things that we trust are lies. And we have to identify the lies and we have to smoke them out. I, I got to say, though, one thing here, um, it's a bit of a commercial, but this coming Sunday, which is the March 17th, St. Patrick's uh-huh. Day, um, the Disclosure Network has got an amazing program, and I, I just wanted to briefly mention it. The title of the program is called Our Belief Systems, Past, Present, and Future, and it's a roundtable uh-huh. discussion. And I'm telling you, it's, it, it is causing quite a stir. Um, and, and let me just read you, if I may, just a couple of sentences oh, about oh, what, oh. what it's about. This is the description of the program, which will be this coming Sunday at 2 o'clock. From the time we were children, we have had beliefs based on what we were told by our parents as being true. Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, etc. We then started going to school and began to learn what was taught by our teachers about history, science, and the government, etc. We also learned uh, to the, uh, listen to the news about what was happening in the world and believed what was being told to us by the broadcasters, the newscasters. That was going to be totally true. If we yes. went to a place of worship, we were taught what the religion proclaimed as being true. Now we are grown-up adults, and our belief systems have now changed over time to what we once trusted to be truth we no longer trust. In this very special roundtable meeting discussion, we will share our personal perspectives and explore who and what to look for for truth. Wow. That is, Isn't that, that is powerful. We have uh, one of our members, Claire, who's an unbelievably gifted uh, teacher, uh, is going to be with me on this one. And we're going to do a two-hour program of approaching this subject and it really gets right to the heart because you know in the future we're going to have to relearn a lot of things that we thought were true because science and discoveries are going to change a lot of what we thought was our real history right uh, uh the government or or other forces are going to force disclosure and once that disclosure happens we're going to learn that for over 40, 50 years, we've been told lies about ETs and contact. And there's a lot of proof of that. 
and, and it, people are going to be shocked. They're going to have to rethink a lot of things that they thought they knew and that they were wise. Uh, uh, not the fault of the people, but the fault of the, the, the controllers that are saying we can't tell the public this. Well, who's deciding that, you know? And a lot of times it's because the corporations are keeping close secrets because they don't want people to know where they got them. Anyhow, it's quite it's going to be quite a, a, a two hour session. This is part one of a three part series we're doing. Awesome. That, that sounds incredibly exciting. Um, mirroring that here in New Jersey, um, where we're setting up our Temenos, which is our version of a disclosure network. Uh, it's a, kind of like a Mount Olympus version. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, aliens also. New Jersey has a history of uh, yes. contact. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was knocked out with how many sightings there were and documented proof. Yes, yes. And uh, one of the things we've had here um, is uh, aliens like Val Four, who was a Venusian. Uh, and uh, that was perhaps the best known of the uh, uh, contactee type of experiences, but there have been others. So I'm yeah, going to oh, start yes. focusing on those and their implications and uh, what type of information uh, came forth. And uh, again, like, uh, like we're looking at fluoride now and we're looking at uh, um, growing your own food free from pesticides and uh, genetic uh, tampering, uh, it is very important to know uh, you know, these stories that we're getting, uh, is there truth in them? If there's no truth in them, how are they being used to manipulate or convince us of things or uh, prepare us for something? So all of these things that the disclosure networks are doing is very important. You couldn't be more right on that. The people that are coming to these meetings are some of the most carefully researched people I've ever met in my life. These people are are smart they, they go way deep into these subjects, and then they share that information at the meetings. This coming meeting will be an example of exactly that, of the, the proof, the absolute concrete proof of what we thought was the reality that was told us as what was true is totally wise, wise. And then who, who is controlling that? Why are they controlling that? And how can we stop it? Life is too short to live in a series of lives. Uh, one person had said that 2019, we are living really in the 40, late 40s or early 50s technologically of where we should be. Think of that for a moment. That, that's mind-boggling because they're talking about power sources that have nothing to do with petroleum. And oil and, and gas, products that are, are, should be in the, uh, in the mainstay right now that have been banned because of greed, of greed because these products won't bring the profits that these other ones will. Meanwhile, they're digging up the coal and the, and the oil and so forth and ruining what's left of our planet. That can't continue. No. So all these things are related, as you know, you know, growing your own food, being careful about your water and what you buy and your food and, and vitamins and, and, and learning about, about this and trying to lead a healthy life and be free of the fake news. These are goals. 
Yes, of course, there are goals, and uh, there are many wonderful people, you know, trying to make a difference on this planet and trying to get us the information we need to make wise uh, uh, decisions. And uh, um, I think that what we're doing in a small way needs to be done in a much larger way, where uh, people uh, lend their voices uh, to each other's efforts and uh, uh, help do things on a much grander scale than uh, locally, because uh, the scientists are telling us that we only have a dozen or so years before it's too late. So we need right. to make these changes now, and we need to do them on a global scale, uh, and not just in our neighborhoods, although doing them in our communities is better than not doing them. So that's exactly. where I am exactly. at this point. Yes. It's all important. It's important. All, all of that is important. It's important. Uh, I got a bad oh, echo all of a sudden. Did you not hear? Uh, let no, me check okay. Did it correct itself? Let me see. Yes, it just did. Okay, great. But you know, these are these are very. This is the future. The future is exactly what we're talking about. It's really getting at all the things we need to do, and we need to stop the fake news. The fake, the fake uh, health remedies, the the, the fake, the fake um, uh, things that they say are good for you that aren't, that gives you cancer. We really have to throw out all the bad, the bad, and ex- embrace the good. And every one of us has to do this. Yes, I, I'm in total agreement. And uh, one of the things that's frustrating me is I'm hitting against. Uh, uh, the vastness of my ignorance and uh, my own personal limitations. And there are so many things to do. And, and, you know, our consciousness, if you, if it's spread out too thin, uh, we're not able to effectively do even the things that we're working on. So part of my challenge, uh, and maybe on a future show, we could have like an open talk on this is um, narrowing down uh, the focus uh, to be more effective in uh, the actions and more synergistically working with others uh, so that we can accomplish things uh, faster. Well, I think that's a good plan and sharing and sharing the knowledge and sharing yeah. our beliefs and our research has to happen. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And we're at the end of our hour again. Um, sorry for uh, all the technical difficulties, but that's part of uh, uh, this uh, voyage. And even when I watch YouTube with professional uh, networks uh, uh, recording, uh, some of the same glitches pop up. So uh, I think uh, we just be grateful that we can communicate like this and share conversations with many others and store them so that people in the future can visit them and, uh, and see what we were thinking as well. This is a very challenging time. It's a very, very important time for humanity. Yes. And it's an age of heroes, and we just need to rise to the occasion. We can. We can. We will. And it's going to be everybody pulling together to do it, but we can. We're strong enough to do it, and we must turn over to what the future should be and not accept anything less. I totally agree with you. Well, I'm glad that we connected, that our roads brought us to each other, and uh, we're both doing separately and together uh, incredible things that will become even more incredible uh, in time. So thank you, Nick, um, and uh, thanks for being guest on tonight's show. I'm looking forward uh, greatly to our next uh, conversation. 
Me too. Absolutely. Again, they're very good friend and the most amazing producer anyone could hope for. Well, thank you. I'm great. I'm greatly honored by uh, your words and think the world of you as well. Um, Thanks again, Nick, and thanks to all who've listened. Uh, this has been Hercules Invictus and Nick Curto. Uh, this is the Pride of Olympus, and uh, tonight was the launch of Temenos. So uh, see you in 30 days. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world. One filled with light and love. On behalf of the Pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.